Today on IFS Talks, we're welcoming back Katie Lindgren, talking today about relationships and intimacy. Kate Lindgren is a certified IFS therapist and on the faculty of Intimacy from the Inside Out, using IFS and couples work as a lead trainer. She's also on the faculty of Boston College School of Social Work, where she teaches a class on IFS. Kate lives and practices in the Boston area and in Martha's Vineyard. Today, we are focusing with her on a different topic. Intimacy from the Inside Out, or IFIO, as Tony Herbine Blank, collaborator on Therapy Method for Couples and Relationships. Thank you, Kate, for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me back. Kate, why this special interest of yours on couples and couple therapy? Where does this come from? Well, you know, it's interesting. The first thing that comes to mind when you say that, Anibal, is I sometimes say when I'm teaching that I had my first couple when I was seven. And let's just say it didn't go very well. So the first couple in my life had problems and there was no help available for them. And that had a huge impact on me and my siblings. So that's in there somewhere. Wanting to provide something that is truly helpful for couples because it's not easy to stay in a relationship long term. And um, how do we differentiate IFS from IFIL? And what does exactly from the inside out means? Yeah, so... IFIO is the application of IFS to multiple systems, dual systems in the room, so to couples. And it could be any dyad, as a matter of fact. We talk about couples in terms of romantic partners. It can be used with any dyad. I've certainly seen, you know, adult child and parent dyads sibling dyads, friends, business partners. So Tony Herbine Blank has taken IFS and really honed it to be very applicable to working with multiple systems in the room. And from the inside out is really the basis of IFS, I think. You know, the internal connection, self to part, is primary. And the more healing work we can do internally, the more available we are mm -hmm. to working with our partner on the relationship. Hence, from the inside out. Did you work with couples before IFIO and how, how is it different? <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> yes. And by the time I got to Tony's training, um, 2009, maybe, was one of her first trainings, I was ready to quit with couples because it was too painful for me sitting with people getting dysregulated and escalating in the room. And I didn't know what to do when that happened. And also not to really, I wasn't able to really make a difference and provide something that felt really useful or helpful to couples. 
So by the time I got to that training, I was thinking, okay, last ditch effort. And that training changed everything for me. Kate, how, how much someone that is trained in IFS is ready to work with the couples or this kind of relations that you mentioned or how much is needed to go into this specific this specific training on IFIO? Yeah, I think IFS alone does not prepare us to work with couples on so many levels. It's such, there's so much to it that it's impossible um, to cover all of that in the IFS training. The, the traditional level twos often had a weekend on working with couples, the four weekend model. Mm -hmm. um, and even that was just the very beginning. The 72 hour training that we offer is also just a beginning. Um, and what I think makes it so complicated is what it triggers in us. It's, mm -hmm. I think most people would agree with this. Working with couples is more than twice as triggering as sitting with an individual, maybe exponentially because of our early experiences with our own first families. How did that play out for you, you know, as you were post-training, mm -hmm. feeling into your parts? working with couples what did how did you work with that and what did you notice that's a great question one of the things i noticed through the training and got help with was how scared i got when one or both people in the couple got dysregulated and then i would dissociate to protect yeah. myself mm -hmm. and i have this memory of sitting with a couple in my office, they were screaming at each other and I just sat there, glazed over and, and went away. And then when I got my bearings, I actually had to stand up and say, you have to stop. It was the only tool I had. And now, so I really had to work with the parts of me that got so scared when people got into conflict in my office and were really in parts. Yeah, maybe parts remembering also. We all remember. Exactly. Absolutely. And now what's interesting is it doesn't get to that point in my office. I know how to keep people regulated, help people stay regulated. And if they start to escalate, I know how to interrupt that. If you have a grip on them. Yes. So, Kate, what are the goals of IFIO generally? Well, the goal, um, probably at its core, is helping people find self-to-self -self communication, which translates into communicating on behalf of needs and vulnerable parts, as opposed to trying to get needs met from protector energy. So self-to-self -self communication, self-regulation is an important part of that. 
and blending, of course, is an important part of that. It's a huge one, self-to-self communication. Mm. Yeah, it is. So is there a lot of education of the couples that you work with initially, teaching them about how to notice their parts and how to unblend? And, or does it happen naturally? For me at this point, Tisha, it happens more naturally. And I, it, I provide the education where it seems appropriate. I, I think I've put a fair number of couples to sleep trying to explain how it works. So I've learned uh, to provide the information as needed. And sometimes people don't need to know what we're doing. It just makes sense to them intuitively. Mm-hmm. And some people want to know, what, how does this work? What, what do you mean? And what are you looking for with that question? Kate, one of the watermarks for the model, I believe, is the U-turn. Mm-hmm. It is also a concept for IFS, of course. Yes. What exactly is this U-turn when it comes to couples? How do we implement these with couples? Yeah, so that is uh, a term of dicks that's so, so important. And when couples come in, they often, almost always, I think I can say, come in blaming the other. We're here because they are doing X or not doing Y. If they would stop doing that, things would be fine. Or something like that. Mm -hmm. So the U-turn is really over time helping people slow down and bring the focus back to themselves. So, and, and one way to do that is to ask, okay, so when they do that, what happens inside for you? Mm -hmm. which brings the focus back here to myself. Yeah. What am I feeling? Mm -hmm. What am I needing? And they might still answer with something about the other person. Mm -hmm. And I'll just ask again until people really get in the habit of first checking in here, what's happening for me inside Mm -hmm. and taking the focus off of what their partner is or isn't doing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Kaiton, IFIO partners take turns on U-turns and returns. That may look uh, really dynamic and lively. Mm. How easy is it for couples to take those turns and returns? Yeah, it's sort of organic, I think. If somebody is in a blaming part, for example, Mm -hmm. I might ask that person, you know, if it's showing up as an angry blaming part to see if that part would give them some space. So there's the unblending. And then what's happening inside right now? Um, So it may be, it goes back and forth in some sessions. One person's doing a U-turn, the focus is on them, then the other. Sometimes it's only one person in the whole hour and we stay with that. So it can look many different ways in a session. The important thing is that the therapist, or me in this case, I'm interrupting every time somebody is pointing the finger at their partner. Exactly. You need to be very firm doing that to, yeah. to ensure 
safety. That too, it has to be a safe triangle, right? Speaking of that, how do you work with parts of yourself as the therapist that align with one member of the couple over the, do you speak for that or um, like, how do you mm. work with that inside? That's a great question. And of course it's going to happen, right? Because it happens, right? Of course it's going to happen. And uh, at this point, I'm connected enough with my system that I, right away I will notice it pretty quickly if not immediately and I do lovingly ask the part to move back so I can stay connected with both people because that's what creates a safe triangle or contributes to a safe triangle it doesn't really happen so much anymore that I get that I'm aligned with one and get called on it but it has happened and when that happens we have to be willing to take a look at that you know, I feel like you're really siding with my partner over there on this. And I'm okay now. I've learned to be okay with saying, let me take a look at that. And yeah, you know, I, that's when I might speak for it. You know, there was a part of me that was starting to ally with your partner around that. I'm going to work with that. Beautiful. <laughs> or to be able to say, I checked inside and... Because sometimes it's a projection. So to be able to say, you know, I, this happened not that long ago for me. When one of the one person in the partnership said, I feel like you're really taking her side. And I said, let me just take a look. And I took a moment and I said, I don't find any part of me that's taking her side here. And I'm wondering what's happening for you. Mm, yeah, that's really good to name. It might be beautiful to see couples grow and change um, yeah. doing this uh, series of U-turns in order to see each other grow. But how, how relevant is it for a couple to heal that this U-turn, this individual yeah. work you describe, get done with a partner yeah. presence or witnessing? In IFIO, there are a number of protocols that we use. One is tracking the sequence of the you know, ineffective cycle that couples get into. That's pretty predictable for most people. Mm -hmm. Another protocol is courageous communication, which we can talk about a little bit mm -hmm. more. Another protocol is doing an individual piece of work with one person in the presence of their partner. And I can't tell you that it is so powerful. And I know that from the inside out because I've had that experience with my partner. And being able to witness her doing a deep piece of work was deeply, deeply meaningful for me. And it, it helped me understand her in a very different way, which helped me not react to the protectors that I would sometimes react to. You could meet them with compassion, seeing what they were protecting. Absolutely. Yes. That's one of the pieces of that protocol that are so powerful. 
the partner gets to say, oh, this wasn't, it isn't about me. Wow. Yeah. So, Kate, what exactly is courageous communication? Yeah, so in essence, courageous communication is being able to speak on behalf of parts and listen from self. So in the training and in the model, there's a lot of emphasis, not just on speaking for parts, but on how to listen from self. Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time and energy helping the listener get ready to listen. So sometimes, for example, we might contract for one person to speak on behalf of an experience. And then we go to the listener and help them get ready. It could take a whole session to help the listener get unblended enough to be able to really hear their partner from their heart. I sometimes say from your heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or from self-leadership. Mm -hmm. So courageous communication is basically that speaking on behalf of parts and listening from self. It is, it sounds simple and it is not easy to do. Yeah, absolutely. And how does self helps to regulate couples? Well, if you think about it, yeah, self, the, the regulation has to happen first before anything else can happen. And so unblending really allows access to self-energy. And that's where calmness, centered energy, curiosity is, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so when someone is in a self-led place, more calm, more centered, more curious, the energy is calm. And it takes that to be able to listen to some difficult things from your partner or potentially difficult things. As opposed to being in a part and dysregulated, speaking from angry energy, there's nothing that can happen that's constructive then. And I sometimes say to people, if you are in an angry part, if you are speaking from this part or dysregulated, I use that word a lot with couples' clients, and they actually seem to really like it. It's very affirming. Oh, that is what it is, isn't it? I am not regulated. And I'll say, if you're coming from that angry part, you are not going to be heard. And I want you to be heard. So let me help you get more regulated or calm or connect with some calm-centered energy or something like that. So... IFIO helps really helps couples with cycles. Yes. And I'm curious, what is a negative cycle and how do IFIO addresses negative cycles? Yeah, that's a big part of the work is listening to the couple over time and really trying to suss out what the cycle is. And a cycle is a kind of predictable, repetitive pattern between two people that, in my way of thinking, is their attempt to get a need met, each of their attempt to get a need met that's not working. 
And in a, most couples have, like Tony says, basically one fight, which means that we each have sort of this core exile or vulnerability that tends mm -hmm. to energize our core frontline protectors. And the content can change, whether it's over who cleans the bathrooms or who does more around the house or who's wanting more attention from the other, the content can change. But that underlying core exile and frontline protectors tend to be the same. So we're listening for that. We're listening for the protector, which I think is an attempt to get a need met. So maybe getting louder and starting to raise one's voice yes. mm -hmm. is the protector energy. And what is that part afraid would happen, we might ask, if you don't get louder? Exactly. What you might hear is, well, then I really won't be heard, I won't be seen, and oh. I'll never get what I need. And then we get closer to the exile. So it sounds like there's a lot around negotiating needs. Yes. And is it um, generally that there's an exile at the base of each of them? Or are, is there sometimes needs that will never be met in a specific relationship? That's a good question, too. Um, it's both. Any need, all, all needs are acceptable. If you can identify the need, it will make sense. Oh, so you have a need to be seen. I don't want, for example, here, here's an example. I often hear this. I don't want to have to say what I need. I, I want my partner to know. You should guess. You should know. You should guess. You should know. Right. It doesn't have as much value if I have to ask. Exactly. So, okay, you, there's a part of you that really wants, I might frame it, to, for them to just know what you need. That makes sense. I get that. Who doesn't have that? Right? That's not a need that's likely to get met, though. Nobody can really know what we need before we speak for it. So, but I'm going to normalize it. Okay, I get you have that need. And, and there's kind of two things about that. One is we come back to the self-depart connection. So I want to really deepen that person's self-depart relationship so they can meet the need of that part a little bit more, speak on its behalf, and then the partner can then say, I wish I did know what you need all the time. I'm sorry that I can't. But then there are other like core needs that we all have that are not being met in a relationship. Say for, you know, connection to be, to, to be seen in some basic ways, to be heard, uh, for sexual intimacy. And sometimes these things are just not on offer. Mm -hmm. Those are common also. Yes, very. Very common. And so what I want to find out is, is it possible that those things could be on offer? So working with the partner to hear this and to see if that is something that could be freed up. And if not, then what does that mean? So 
our needs can be met or just be listened listen by our partner. Yeah, so here's a kind of benign example from my own relationship. So my partner is a tech wizard and she really has a need to share that with me. And I tried to listen to you know these things she's finding out about and what this device can do and all this kind of stuff and I just glaze over. I I can't hold presence to it. And I tried and tried and tried and it was painful to her that I would zone out until we could really talk about it that you know what I wish I could meet this need and I do. I do wish I could meet that need to connect around this, but I can't. It doesn't make sense to me and I just disconnect. And that freed us both up. For me not to feel guilty and lacking and like a bad partner for her get that need met someplace else. There are plenty of people who love to talk about that stuff. And what about sexuality, Kate? We do not see a chapter on sexual intimacy book IFIO from uh, I believe uh, Tony Van Blank yeah. and uh, Donna Kepelman and also Marta Suizzi, 2016. Yes. Yeah. It was interesting to me that you pointed that out. Yeah. It's curious as couples therapists what we find is, and this was certainly true for me, a lot of us don't ask about sex. And that's an interesting internal inquiry, isn't it? Yeah, why, why is that? Yeah, I mean, we have parts that come up around uh, that have beliefs about what it means to ask about sex and sexuality. So for me, there were parts that had that had discomfort around that topic and so didn't ask. And I once I saw those parts, I could really work with them mm-hmm. and help them so that I could be available to talk about sexuality in my office and ask about it, even if the couple didn't bring it up. A lot of couples therapists say if they want to talk about it, they'll bring it up. And what we find is that that's not necessarily true. People want and need to talk about it, but they're afraid to bring it up. So we have to be courageous enough to ask. I'm curious what what parts you came upon in your own self-inquiry, if they're universal, if they're cultural. I'm sure there are universal ones and cultural ones. And for me, it was very much related to my own shame around sexuality. And some trauma from my early life that hadn't been worked through. That really got in the way of me feeling safe and comfortable talking with couples about their sexual experience and what a gift it was to myself to access those parts and help them and and help the younger ones not even be in the therapy room. No child needs to be hearing grown-ups talk about their sex life. So you've done, you've really, this work with couples has, has really been bolstered by how self-reflective and how dedicated to your own work you've been. Yeah, I would say so. 
Sounds really important, especially for couples work. Yes. And I think it's partly why the IFIO training is so powerful for people is it's really taught from the inside out. There's so much of it that's experiential as in a traditional IFS training and even more so in some ways, particularly around shame, yeah. which a lot of people hadn't, you know, haven't even looked at. Mm-hmm. And so that comes up in other ways besides just around sexual yes. uh, conversations. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, what is exactly the role of shame and shaming in couples, therapy, success or or failure? Yeah, so, you know, like Martha Suisi talks about shame and Tony too, that there there are internal shamers that are protectors, right? But they're not helpful. They, they'll, uh, you know how Martha talks about shamers either going internal and coming after us as inner critics, Uh right? Or turning toward the other and becoming aggressive. Yes. Toward someone else. You see that in couples therapy a lot. There's shaming toward the partner. And it's, it is an attempt to get a need met. It doesn't seem to make sense because it, yep. it's not rational that shaming somebody is going to get what you need. Mm-hmm. But it's the same belief internally that if I shame myself, I won't make mistakes. And if I shame you, you're going to give me what I need. It's the same as blaming, only harsher. (laughs) You know, like blaming and shaming. It's very common in couples, particularly if they have gone way down um, the river of, you know, difficult negative cycles. I'd like to quote uh, Tony in his book, IFIO. She says, they they write, three authors, the IFIO approach to couple therapy guides and supports couples in learning how to speak for parts and make requests that invite rather than threaten their partner into responding. Yes. That's what you just said. Yes. They say it so much better. But, you know, it's like, If I say to my partner, you know, for whatever reasons, there's a part of me that just kind of cringes when I see the sponge in the sink and it's all wet and it's been there for hours and hours. And I'm wondering if it would be okay with you just for me to just kind of squeeze it out and put it up on the side, right? Very different than, what the fuck is wrong with you? I've asked you. Do not leave the sponge in the sink. That's a common one, by the way, the sponge. (laughs) It's amazing to me how often that comes up. I have sponge parts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
So you see, that's the difference. The, the first way I might, I might get what I'm asking for. The second way from a shaming protector, no way am I going to get what I'm asking for. Why? Because when my, if my partner were to hear that from me, her protectors come right up. She's not hearing what I'm asking for. She's just hearing the anger and the energy and the shaming. So the U-turn is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Kate, do you believe, as I, I have heard Tony believes or says, that we could love anyone if it wasn't for our parts? Yeah, you know, I thought about that. I think it's true. I think it's true in many ways. I don't know if it's true in a primary relationship because we're not going to love everybody. On the other hand, the kind of love that is part of self-leadership, open-heartedness, I might not say a friend, uh, say an acquaintance or a colleague maybe, I might not really like all that person's parts, but I can mm -hmm. find love for that person absolutely from self-leadership. With a primary partner, I think there has to be more. If I don't, if there's more, I don't, more of my partner's parts that I don't like, that's going to be a good inquiry. And if those parts can be heard and relaxed back, okay. But if they can't, no. Just a follow-up question to that. What are your thoughts on chemistry? When, when there's just someone out of the blue and you feel that spark and what, what is that all about? I know, I love that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm so right. curious. Yeah. What's firing up? Is it parts? Is it like our system knows that we can heal our exiles through a person or you know yeah or we might but we might have that belief and then after a little while as the chemistry fades we realize oh guess what no that's not going to happen here i think it's i think it's like drugs it's something happens in the brain with oxytocin and we are actually high when in that phase of a relationship and it's wonderful but it doesn't last And in some ways, in this culture in particular, we've grown up with the belief that if, you, if that doesn't last, then this isn't the relationship. You know, this isn't my soulmate, and it's, but it's not going to last. And I think, you know, I've done a lot of grief work with clients about around that. Like, yeah, that was wonderful, and it's past, and it's not going to be like that again. And it could be something different and equally important. So could those drugs uh, that our brain gives us or our bodies flood us with, um, are those parts or are, you know, is it attachment parts or? Uh, yeah, that's a great line of inquiry. I think parts definitely play a role in it. And if you think about it, though, it's all projection. 
I don't know anything about you, and yet I am completely smitten with you. And my parts are projecting who you are and who you could be to me. And that is a big layer of it, I believe. And so when we realize that that may not be on offer, what our parts were projecting, that's a loss. And that's often when a lot of people come to therapy is when they really get, oh, you're not this person that I thought you were. And you'll hear it in session like, they were different when we first got together. And I feel like I've been sold a false bill of goods, people will say. And then that's worth unpacking, like how much of what you thought you were getting was a projection or a wish. Does couples attend the, to your trainings on IFIO with Tony? Is it more complex when there are more couples or more interesting when you have real couples in the training? Huh. It can it can be more interesting with a real couple, yeah. And when there are couples in the training, it's you know Tony has to really meet with them and see if they're in a place to do a demonstration for the training mm -hmm. that could be helpful and is more in the service of the learning of the large group than in the service of helping that particular couple in that situation. And not all couples are able to do that. So much more often we have staff people playing couples. And um, you didn't ask this, but we do that more than participants playing couples because the staff know what we're trying to demonstrate of course mm -hmm. and will work with us whereas participants you know might get hijacked in their own parts and it goes in a different direction than what's in the service of learning for the group so in those trainings there are also demos but also mostly role playing yes Makes sense, yes. And they're very powerful because, as we know, a role play is never just a role play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Kate, thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And our hope is that we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work and our lives. Thank you so much to each of you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. In this conversation today, I have I just am sitting in so much appreciation for for how much wisdom you have in working with couples. Mm. It's it's got to be really good for everyone who you sit with. Oh, thank you. I can imagine the lives you've touched. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, thank you. 